Hello, and welcome once again to the Radio Gaga podcast. I'm your host, Justine Pajowski, and today we're talking about country star Shania Twain and her all-time best-selling record, Come On Over. My main source for this episode was Shania Twain's autobiography, From This Moment On. I also watched her VH1 behind the music and referenced the Canadian press, Billboard, and others I'll mention. A quick note before we start, there are some mentions in this episode of domestic abuse when we talk about Shania's childhood. I don't go into a ton of depth, you can read her book for that, but it is a significant chapter in her life that I do want to cover as respectfully as possible. I remember listening to Shania Twain as a kid. Even though her music didn't stay in my rotation very long, the fire burned hot there for a little while. There was almost no country played in my house growing up, yet something about Shania instantaneously connected with me. Her songs were all in a major key, they were singable, danceable, and felt like a powerful statement of feminism and strength for a nine-year-old. It was pop, and I didn't mind the country twang because of how fun it was to sing along to. And Shania was a brunette, with bangs! Could this be me one day? What a thrill for small Justine, a little musical theater nerd with big dreams. As young as I was, bopping along to Shania's radio hits, I knew she was popular, but I guess I never realized just how big she was in the late 90s. Shania Twain was a big deal. With more than 40 million copies sold, her album Come On Over is up there with Michael Jackson's Thriller, Rumors by Fleetwood Mac, ACDC's Back in Black, and Dark Side of the Moon by Pink Floyd. Everyone bought this album. Shania Twain's brand of crossover country defined an era, one that saw the genre of contemporary pop country win the hearts of non-country fans the world over. Hers was the era of Trisha Yearwood, Faith Hill, Reba McIntyre, strong female vocalists that dominated the country charts and sometimes bled over into the pop charts too. This was a period of time where transition and change were rewarded and celebrated, and Shania gladly came in to shake things up. As Marissa Moss of Rolling Stone writes, up until Shania's era, the vast, vast majority of country songs represented women as either homewreckers or homemakers. What Shania did with her songwriting helped disrupt the conventional gender roles represented in country music and helped women take back their power and their femininity. Think of Taylor Swift's career, someone who was about a year younger than me and was bopping along to the same Shania songs as all of us were. Taylor's songwriting style, from her teardrops on my guitar days up to now, has been based off the complexity, emotion, and strength of Shania Twain's woman. Without Shania, we wouldn't have Taylor, or likely any of her other millennial-era counterparts like Carrie Underwood, Miranda Lambert, Casey Musgraves, Kelsey Ballerini, Maren Morris, the list goes on. Shania Twain changed absolutely everything. Somewhat ironically, for being one of the most prolific recording artists in American country history, Shania Twain is not American. She's Canadian. Until her early 20s, she went by her given name, Eileen. 
Her biological father left the picture when Eileen was two, and her mom remarried a man named Jerry Twain, an Ojibwa native from the Matagami First Nation in Ontario. Eileen and her siblings grew up very, very poor in a small town in northeastern Ontario called Timmins. They lived four children and two adults to a one-bedroom house, and their financial situation often meant food was scarce. For the most part, life was pretty simple. But her parents would often fight, usually about their money woes, and it would frequently become physical. It might start with Jerry and Sharon pushing each other around, then things would snowball. Jerry would beat up on Sharon quite badly, and if Eileen or any of her siblings tried to get involved and help their mom, they'd get pushed away or even punched. It was really difficult reading this part of Shania's book because you can tell just how much she wanted to help her mom get out of there. But trying to break free from an abusive relationship, especially with children in tow, is extremely difficult. They actually tried moving out a few times, but rarely would these tries last more than a week before they were back home. One day, when Jerry was at work, Eileen had enough. She packed for her mom and her siblings, packed up the car, and basically dragged her mom out of the house to take them all away to a safe spot to live permanently. They lived in a shelter for women and children for a little while outside of town, and they stayed away for a lot longer this time. It was looking like they'd finally broken free. After a while, though, they would all move back in with Jerry, this time at Jerry's parents' house. Things sort of cooled down physically from there, although the emotional abuse would continue on until Jerry and Sharon's untimely death a few years later. We'll get to that in a moment. While Eileen's childhood was extremely turbulent, music was one constant for her. Sharon was incredibly supportive of her daughter's desire to get into music from a young age, helping her find places to sing, house parties, bars, you name it. Helping her daughter with her singing career was a welcome respite from Sharon's bouts of depression, dealing with everything else in her life. By the age of eight, Eileen was performing late nights in bars, making money and tips that she used to help support her family. Eight years old, performing the midnight to 1 a.m. shift. She didn't like singing at the bars, but did believe it gave her a streetwise education in music and performing, even if it was to a room full of drunks. As she grew up, Eileen continued to get involved in music any way she could, given the family's limited funds, including writing music on her own and taking singing lessons in exchange for house cleaning. Sharon was always right there with her, trying her best to help her daughter and guide her the best way she could. When she was 12, Eileen landed a gig on the Toronto station CFGM and its syndicated show Opry North. Next lady I'd like to bring on the show here is... uh... Well, back a couple of years ago, they used to say, hey, you're good. What are you doing in Canada? Well, we got Opry North now, and they stay here. And here's a lady who's going to be around for a long, long time. She's only 12 years old. Well, actually, I guess we can safely say she's 13 now, because she'll be 13 on the 28th of August. Ladies and gentlemen, she's super. Eileen Twain.
After high school, Eileen took over as lead singer for a group called Flirt, who was on tour in Ontario. Although the experience wasn't fulfilling for her from a songwriting perspective, all the songs were pretty much decided at the point where she joined, she says now that it was a great experience to be independent and working professionally as a touring musician, even if just for a short time. Knowing she wanted to work professionally as a musician, but still in the process of making that happen, Eileen was off to community college, in case music didn't work out. To help pay for school, Eileen worked odd jobs, including at McDonald's. Then, during the winters, she'd help supervise her father's tree planting crews in northern Ontario. All, of course, while she was still songwriting and singing anywhere she could. Eventually, Eileen caught the attention of Toronto-based radio DJ Stan Campbell. He became a huge advocate for her, writing a story about her for country music news and introducing her to industry people that he knew. Before she knew it, Eileen was traveling down to Nashville to record demos. She was introduced to country singer Mary Bailey, who helped take Eileen's hand and guide her through the ins and outs of the country music industry. Opportunities to perform for larger and larger crowds began popping up in Ontario by the mid-80s, and it seemed as though Eileen Twain may finally break through. She had a recorded demo, great contacts, and even scored a few recording gigs as a backing vocalist. But life-changing news would soon change Eileen's trajectory completely. In 1987, Sharon and Jerry Twain were involved in a fatal car accident. When her parents died, Eileen was absolutely devastated. She met back up with her siblings in Timmins, where she helped handle all the stuff you're just not in the mood to handle after your parents die. Business affairs, paperwork, paying taxes, and the coroner's reports. Eileen took all of it on her shoulders, as well as the care of her younger siblings. In fact, this was the point in Eileen's life where she was closest to leaving music entirely. How could she go off and be a musician in Nashville or elsewhere when she was now, at the young age of 21, practically a parent to her three teenage siblings? But then, an opportunity presented itself that meant Eileen might be able to stay in music while making sure her siblings were well taken care of. A family friend, Mary, talked to Eileen about a golf resort she had just gotten back from up near Toronto called Deerhurst Resort. Deerhurst had a show called Viva Vegas, where singers, showgirls, and performers lit up the stage with a Vegas-style production every night. With the promise of a generous salary to be able to afford rent for her, three siblings, and their dog, Eileen packed up the family and moved out to Huntsville, Ontario, to perform in Viva Vegas at Deerhurst. Eileen performed for the next three years at Deerhurst Resort, moving up the ranks of the Viva Vegas performers to eventually earn her own showcase. One evening, when she sang Wind Beneath My Wings as a solo, some important people were listening. 
music business attorney Richard Frank was in the crowd, who ended up getting a hold of Eileen Twain's demo, passing that along to producer Nora Wilson, who had worked with stars like Reba McIntyre and Charlie Pride. Wilson shared his enthusiasm about Eileen with the Mercury Nashville record label, and all of a sudden, Eileen Twain was signed. By now, her two younger brothers were over the age of 16, and her younger sister, now in her 20s, was ready to move in with her boyfriend. Eileen's window of opportunity was open to move away and get serious about her music career. She decided to move back into her parents' old house in Timmins, which they'd kept. I don't know if this is a common thing or not, it wouldn't surprise me, but after Eileen was signed to a record label, nothing really immediately happened. She wasn't whisked away to Nashville or given a huge signing bonus or anything. In fact, she didn't get an advance at all, and she'd left her job at Deerhurst Resort, so she was in this limbo for a little while. She was back to working odd jobs again, this time struggling to get extra shifts at Sears. After trying for a little bit to live at her parents' house, it became more emotionally draining than Eileen expected. So she and her boyfriend at the time built a cabin at Kanagamisi Lake, where she could live isolated for weeks at a time to focus on her music. Eileen spent her days chopping wood, clearing out snow from her door and pathways leading up to the cabin, and writing music. She talks about this time in her life in her book so fondly. She says it was an uncomfortably scary time of transition, yet the experience helped her find her voice. Soon, Eileen was granted a $20,000 advance, which meant she'd be able to move to Nashville and rent a modest studio apartment while gearing up for the recording of her first album. The first step in making her a Nashville star was getting Eileen Twain a new name, one with a little more star power. While she was open to a stage name, she refused to change her last name from Twain. She says in her book that this decision was based out of respect and loyalty to her father. But admittedly, Eileen Twain didn't have much of a ring to it, so she set off finding a new first name. She remembered back to a wardrobe tech she had met at Deerhurst, who was also from a biracial family. Her mother was Native American and had named her Shania, which she said meant on my way. Shania has dealt with some people during her career who have said there is no Native American language or dialect that translates Shania to on my way, but several other sources confirm that the name is of Ojibwe origin, meaning roughly I'm on my way or she is on her way. She told Oprah Winfrey in 2011 that, in her mind, she is Eileen Twain, and Shania is just part of who she is. Even though it was a record label mandated change, I could see having a stage name as a huge advantage. Everyone knows Shania Twain, but they don't know Eileen. Only the people closest to her get to know Eileen. I think I'd want a stage name too. As an entertainer, it probably helps you not get fully into your own head, especially with detractors. Oh, they're trolling Shania, not Eileen. Eileen is still mine and always protected. Like a barrier you've set up to not let people all the way in. 
In addition to the name change, Shania went to media training to tone down her Canadian accent and the colorful language that made up a large portion of her vocabulary growing up in the Great White North. Although Shania was writing a ton of music at this time, she was disappointed to learn that the record label didn't like any of it. She would have to go shopping for songs. Shopping is kind of an odd word, but it's what they call it in Nashville's songwriting community. Songwriters write songs, publishers push them out there, then producers and artists scan the options until they've found a few that work, and then you go and take those and make an album. It was weird for Shania to do this, knowing how much material she'd already created, but in time, she'd soon be performing her own music. Shania Twain's self-titled debut album was released in 1993. Just because she had an album out there didn't mean she was an instant star. In fact, she was still pretty broke at this point. She had the recording contract and the debut album, and she was living in Nashville, but didn't yet have the notoriety. Her album would have to prove her worth, and if it didn't, she was out. The music industry, man, it's brutal. But she persevered, kept her head down, kept working, and kept recording. She had faith in herself and was ready to be a star. Her first tour wasn't flashy, but it was necessary to try and keep her name out there and keep that first single afloat. Before Shania's first tour ended, her manager Mary Bailey told Shania that there was a fan of hers wanting an autograph, a record producer named Mutt. Shania was surprised that anyone knew who she was at this point, let alone a producer. Shania and Mutt went on to become good friends, calling each other on the phone all the time and sharing stories about being on the road. She would play him songs on the guitar over the phone, and he listened and was very complimentary of her voice and her ideas, especially her songwriting. It would be weeks before Shania knew what kind of producer her friend Mutt actually was. She didn't yet know that not only was he one of the best producers out there, but Mutt Lang had produced for many multi-million selling artists, including ACDC, The Cars, Foreigner, Def Leppard, Brian Adams, and many more. She says he had been so humble, never mentioning to her anything about his resume. By the time she figured it out, they had already become close without the influence of too much information. She laughs now about unknowingly misspelling his name on that first photo she signed for him, Too Mutt, M-U-T, which he showed her years later and they had a good laugh. Mutt and Shania finally met in person in 1993 at the CMA Music Festival, where Shania performed and Mutt watched from the audience. They met backstage and immediately connected. It felt like they'd known each other for years. The following month, Shania flew out to London to visit him. Then they flew to his house in Spain and had this whole whirlwind creative session together. For two weeks, they wrote songs, worked out melodies, just the two of them in this beautiful Spanish cottage. Shania insists in her book that the relationship was completely platonic at this point, just two best friends working on music together. Not for long, though. They soon fell deeply in love, and six months later, Shania and Mutt were married. Her team in Nashville started wondering where Shania had disappeared to. This whole time, she was still on album number one, and things were beginning to peter out after her tour. 
oh, you know, just quickly flew off to Spain, wrote a million songs, met the love of my life, got married, just the regular stuff. She came back to Nashville and was nervous at first to suggest to her team that Mutt Lang, rock producer for ACDC, could produce her next country album. Mutt hadn't brought up the idea of producing her yet. This was all Shania's idea. But her team loved the idea of the album having a rock edge, and Mutt was happy to help. Shania Twain's second studio album, The Woman and Me, came out in 1995. There are some bangers on this one, let me tell you. Sales of The Woman and Me were very slow to start. The country music industry just didn't know what to think. Country radio wouldn't play her, and pop radio wouldn't play her, and in 1995, when radio doesn't play you, people don't hear you. This idea of a rock and country crossover was still pretty foreign. Eventually, though, people began to catch on and have some fun with the music. And the industry started turning a corner, awarding The Woman and Me the Grammy Award for Best Country Album in 1995 and the Country Music Award for Album of the Year. And there would be no resting on her laurels after that. She was quickly back in the studio writing and recording for her third studio album, Come On Over. All of the songs on Come On Over were written together by Shania and Mutt Lang, some written back while they were at Mutt's cottage in Spain. The album released on November 4, 1997, and would go on to spawn seven number one singles. Come On Over would be the best-selling album of the 1990s, the best-selling country album ever, and one of the best-selling albums in all of music history. With that, let's get into the tracks, starting with an all-time opener, Man, I Feel Like a Woman. Let's go, girls. Let's go, girls. Shania's lyrics encouraged women around the world to embrace their femininity, and Man, I Feel Like a Woman is probably the leader in the clubhouse of girl power anthems. It's one of the songs Shania says Mutt heard and was like, oh yeah, this is going to be a huge hit. Their songwriting process was really collaborative. Mutt would typically come up with a great chord progression, then Shania would listen to it a few times and come up with a melody that fit. They'd kind of play through it together a few times until something clicked, then would go off and work on lyrics separately before coming together and seeing what worked. Every song is truly a combined effort between the two of them, which makes this album pretty special and what makes it work so well. Oh, 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 
I feel like a woman. about when Shania was coming up in the Nashville scene and how at the beginning her songwriting wasn't strong enough. The way Nashville worked in Shania's earliest days was similar to the compartmentalization in popular music before the early 60s and the Beatles. Everyone had one job. Musicians played instruments, singers sang, and songwriters wrote songs. Of course there were exceptions like Johnny Cash who wrote his own music and that Brill building style separation of the songwriter and musician still happens today in some respects. But more so, we see a lot more bands and solo artists who are completely self-contained. They write their own material, they play it and sing it. And sometimes they can even produce it. But even a massive country artist like Garth Brooks for example, a majority of his songs were written by other people. That's why it meant so much for Shania to finally be writing her own songs. She felt boxed in in Nashville, not being able to find songwriters she liked, trapped in a system that felt more like a factory than a fluid creative process. Although there were countless songwriters pumping out song after song for the taking, it was important for her to be an artist who created her own material. She knew it was good and that it would work, and it did. that at the time she was signed to Polygram Nashville, she had considered herself a versatile singer and not tied to any one style of music. But upon signing a record contract, categorization had to happen one way or another. Will this singer go pop, gospel? For Shania, the record execs decided she was 100% country. While she was somewhat familiar with country artists like Waylon, Willie, and Dolly, it had been many, many years since she had listened to or sung any country music. Shania wasn't even familiar with current country artists at the time, like she had no idea who Reba McIntyre was. 
But the powers that be on her record label wanted her to do country. And as an artist who was getting a record deal, she had to trust it was the best way forward. So she studied. Shania watched country music television as much as possible and listened to some of the newer country artists on the scene. Shania's experience in Nashville, and I imagine the experience for a lot of new record label signees, is that you have timed recording sessions by appointment. No jamming or grooving, just get in there, record your part, and get out. For her first few years on the Nashville scene, Shania wasn't part of any creative process. No exciting, energetic recording sessions. It was all just very cold and dry. Though she tried as much as she could to be vocal about the problems she had with the rigid system of recording in Nashville, Shania was warned early on to keep her thoughts to herself. She was treated from the get-go like she was a silly girl from the north with good looks and a singing voice, and that was all they wanted out of her. As Nashville would quickly learn, Shania Twain was so much more. Come On Over really marks that turning point for her and really being able to be creative and free to be an artist, not a machine. called the lyrics to Don't Be Stupid, quote, immature, saying this was a weak song that would be a huge, huge hit. It is weak, and it was a huge hit. It's fun and everything, and I like the fiddle action on it, but it's just kind of repetitive and doesn't have a lot of meat to it lyrically. The way you dramatize every little small detail Don't freak out until you know the facts The next song is From This Moment On, a song that would go on to be one of Shania's best-selling hits. It's essentially a wedding vow set to music. This was her first record to feature another recording artist, Brian White. I give my hand to you with all my heart. I can't wait to live my life with you. Can't wait to start. You and I will never be apart. Dream. 
Mariah says she's been told by countless fans that this was their wedding song, and she notes that while on tour, she's watched multiple couples get engaged from her spot on the stage. This would be one kind of cool thing about writing a song like this. Having it belong to everyone like that and affecting people in such a way that they make it part of their life story. That would be pretty special. Shania wrote the lyrics to this song while she and Mutt were spectators at a soccer match. She was bored with the pace of soccer compared to her favorite sport, ice hockey. So she sat down, started writing, and it all just kind of poured out of her. All we need is just the two of us. Sorry, but it is the one song I have to skip every time. It's a combination of two musical tropes that are like nails on a chalkboard to me. Number one, Jimmy Buffett style Margaritaville Island accordion. And number two, multiple key changes. Seriously, make it stop. musical inspiration growing up included artists like Karen Carpenter, The Supremes, and The Beach Boys. Before she could take voice lessons, she even used to use Stevie Wonder's music as a vocal exercise. He slides around notes with ease, and she would pay close attention to his records, studying every bend and nuance to help develop more agility in her own voice. Honestly, it's a really great idea. Same with Gladys Knight. She and Stevie Wonder both sang with so much soul, and you hear a lot of that modeled in Shania's voice, especially on Come On Over. For me, the song When is like a template for Taylor Swift's earliest music. Just the songwriting, the format of the song, it sounds like something Taylor was definitely listening to as she was writing her own music as a kid. Not to keep making parallels between Taylor and Shania, but it just goes to show you how much of a butterfly effect Shania had on all of music. 
She took a chance on making a country rock record, wrote all the songs instead of shopping for them in Nashville. Shania helped break through that wall and change the trajectory of music in a big way. Take a look at the written title for whatever you do, don't. The exclamation marks. This is actually one kind of funny thing about Shania. At least 15 songs throughout her career use one or more exclamation points in the title. A lot of the times they're just inexplicable, like this song has two of them and the first one's not even grammatically correct. Whatever you do, don't. This is one of four songs just on this album that uses exclamation marks. The other three are, man, I feel like a woman, rock this country, and the next song, if you want to touch her, ask. a problem with the cover art for Come On Over. The U.S. cover, anyway. The international cover is different, just a nice picture of Shania on a gray background. Her hairstylist for that cover should be fired, but she looks pretty, anyway. But the U.S. cover, it's one of the worst covers I've ever seen. It's a close-up picture of Shania in a red top and red lipstick, but the contrast of the lighting on the rest of her face is horrendous. It's completely blown out to the point that she barely has a nose and her skin blends in weirdly with the white background. Just awful.
Next up is You're Still the One. I'm not super into spoken word like she does at the beginning, but I can forgive her for this one. The song rules. When I first saw you, I saw love. And the first time you touched me, I felt love. And after all this time, you're still the one I love. major crossover hits for Shania. This international pop success was nominated for four Grammy Awards and won two of them in 1999, Best Country Song and Best Female Country Vocal Performance. It lost Record of the Year and Song of the Year to Celine Dion's My Heart Will Go On. Listen for Mutt Lang's vocals in You're Still the One. He contributes to the harmonies of the counter line that moves throughout the choruses. Still together, still going strong. Still, you're still the one I run to, the one that I belong to. You're still the one I want for life. You're still the one that I love, the only one I dream of. You're still the one I kiss goodnight. You're still the one. Next up is Honey, I'm Home, which starts out with a danceable rock beat and great melodic riff, then breaks into a twangy country chorus. Watch TV, get off the phone, give a 
song is relatable as hell. Hard day at work, I'm PMSing, my nail just broke, my pantyhose are running. Just get me home and get a cold beer in my hand. Twain says this song was her playful take on the Johnny Paycheck classic, Take This Job and Shove It. All right, everyone, cowbells ready? Next up is That Don't Impress Me Much. I've known a few guys who thought they were pretty smart, but you've got being right down to an art. You think you're a genius, you drive me up the wall. Okay, so you're a rocket scientist. That don't impress me much. So you got the brains, but have you got the That don't impress me much is so classic Shania. It's a fun, tongue-in-cheek song, and I'm always up for a good roasting of dudes who think they're hot shit. The music video for this song is absolutely enthralling. It's her walking through the desert with a suitcase looking for a ride, and all these hunky dudes pull up in their cars and trucks and motorcycles to try to get her to hop in, but she takes one look and just keeps on walking. They're all so hot, but they still don't got the touch. So yeah, not good enough. Let's keep looking. And that iconic leopard outfit she wears in this video, holy cow, does she look stunning. Okay, so you're Brad Pitt. That don't impress me much. So you got the looks, but have you got the touch? Now don't get me wrong, yeah, I think you're all The Brad Pitt call-out is so 90s and makes me laugh every time. Shania Twain insists that this song was never a Brad Pitt diss track. As she told Stellar Magazine, she's actually, quote, very impressed by Brad's wonderful career, sharing that she hoped he took the mention of his name with a sense of humor that was intended. Okay, so you're an Academy Award-winning actor? That actually does kind of impress me. Okay, so you got a car that don't impress me much. Oh, oh, oh. So you got the moves, but have you got the touch? Now don't get me wrong, yeah, I think you're all right. But that won't keep me warm in the middle of the night. That don't impress me much. Ooh, cheers, give me freedom. 
Black Eyes, Blue Tears is a song sung from the perspective of a domestic abuse survivor. No doubt, the inspiration for this song came from her childhood, her mother a victim, and Shania constantly trying to help her get out. Though she is very graphic in the way she describes some of the times her father beat on her mom and is clearly angry that he made life like that for Sharon, Shania also wrote some sections about her father in a way that was approaching reverence. I was surprised when she would say things like, you have to understand, he was raising three children that weren't his, and he was under a lot of financial stress, and he was much discriminated against as a Native American, and that kind of stuff. Almost making these small excuses here and there for her father's behavior. I am incredibly fortunate to never have dealt with an emotional or physical abuse in my family, and there are absolutely nuances within abusive relationships I could never understand. There's no doubt she still loves him, and they had good times and good memories as a family that I'm sure she has chosen to keep closer to her heart instead of the bad ones. Shania's father, Jerry, was an Ojibwe Native American, and although he was not her biological father by blood, Shania currently holds a status card and is on the official band membership list of the Temagami First Nation. When Shania was offered a recording contract in Nashville, she applied for immigration status in the United States. At that time, because her stepfather Jerry was a full-blooded Ojibwe, but she considered him her father and was legally adopted by him, she was able to register as having 50% Native American blood. As you may know, blood is an incredibly important element of being considered part of a tribe. Blood quantum, a highly controversial measurement of the amount of Indian blood one has, can be really restrictive in determining who can be an actual citizen of the tribe. It's a really complicated system, but you can imagine that Shania claiming to have 50% Ojibwe blood rubbed some people the wrong way. But her registration as a status Indian is one of Shania's only remaining connections to her father, and one she holds very dear. Self-esteem and be forever free to dream. Next up on Come On Over is I Won't Leave You Lonely. This is more of a contemporary pop song than country in my mind. But that's the beauty of this album and why it was so widely accepted. There was something for everyone. you to home 
The accordion is back, but I don't mind it as much here, mostly because I love the pedal steel so much. It's done beautifully in this song by Nashville session musician Bruce Boughton. He helped reintroduce the pedal steel guitar to the quote-unquote Nashville sound, famously recording and playing on tour with Garth Brooks from the very beginning of his career. He's also played on records by Brooks and Dunn, Keith Urban, and Kenny Rogers, to name a few. Other notable Nashville session musicians on this album include fiddle players Larry Franklin, Stuart Duncan and the Bow Brothers, Joey Miskulin on accordion, and former Steppenwolf guitarist Larry Byram. Rock This Country is typically either Shania's opener or closer on her tours. It's been very popular with Democratic candidates for president, with Al Gore using Rock This Country as the theme song to his 2000 presidential campaign, and Hillary Clinton using it as her candidate theme song in last song is a slow jam called You've Got Away. You got away with me Somehow you got me to I gotta say, you really got away. Mm, you got away, it seems. While working on Come On Over, Shania was introduced to longtime managers of Bruce Springsteen, John Landau, and Barbara Carr. After Come On Over, Shania was a success in North America, but was starting from scratch in overseas markets. Landau and Carr became her managers and did the miles with her, helping dig the trenches for Shania's success to break through internationally. It's in the way you hold me. The way you show me just what love made it. It's in
Shania Twain's Come On Over tour was a smash. She traveled on this major tour with quite a crew. For one, her horse, Dancer, was one travel companion. For much of the North American tour, Dancer rode along in a mobile stall and provided a needed respite for Shania on breaks to go out riding. Another one of her travel companions was Tim, Shania's German Shepherd. He was a trained protection dog, having gone through years of training in Austria. Tim never let Shania out of his sight. I love the part of her book where she talks about him. It's really cute. This dog took his job so seriously. He rode along in the tour bus with Shania, and before she went on stage for her concerts, she'd smooch him and tell him to stay there until she got back. The pyrotechnics and stage noise would have admittedly been a lot for a dog literally trained to protect against bad guys with guns. So he stayed on the bus. Then after her show, she'd come back and Tim would basically knock her down. He was so excited to see her and be able to do his job again. Along with her four-legged friends, Shania brought along plenty of human friends as well. Shania's assistant and best friend, Marie-Anne Thibode, a family friend, Helene, her sister, Carrie, and a slew of other crew and helpers. Shania was officially a full-fledged star. Mm-hmm. 1999 was a big year. Every nominee for Album of the Year at the Grammys was either a solo woman or a group fronted by a woman, including Shania Twain and Come On Over. The miseducation of Lauryn Hill ended up winning that category, but by this time, Shania's album was already breaking records. Come On Over is still today the all-time best-selling country record, even beyond all of Garth Brooks' albums, the best-selling album in Canadian history, and the best-selling studio album by a female artist. In August of 2001, Shania and Mutt Lang had their son, Asia Lang. Not long after, Shania's next album, Up, would solidify her prominence in country music's storied history. boxed into one genre, Shania and Mutt strategically created three different musical arrangement styles for all the songs on Up. You had the country sound, a dance version with an East Indian flavor, and of course the progressive pop rock sound. After the release of her greatest hits album, Shania took a hiatus. One major reason, as the world would later find out, was her struggle with Lyme disease. She contracted the disease from a tick bite the year before, during her tour for Up. 
Almost immediately, she began experiencing flu-like symptoms, but the strangest symptom of all was dysphonia, a vocal cord paralysis that left her unable to talk or sing. Shania was forced to undergo extensive speech therapy and vocal training, all from a tick bite. She also had laryngoplasty, an operation to reconstruct her vocal box. If that weren't enough, in 2008, Shania got a call from her best friend, Marie Ann's husband, Frederick. They didn't really know each other that well, but he found her number and asked if Shania could meet up and talk. It turns out that Shania's husband, Mutt, had secretly been carrying on an affair with Marie Ann, her best friend and confidant. Fred told Shania he had known for a few weeks and hoped that Mutt and Marie Ann would tell her themselves, but they never did. Reading the part of her autobiography about finding out Mutt was cheating, Shania's anger and resentment are still palpable. For good reason. Marie Ann was Shania's best friend and assistant, someone who she'd go to whenever she and Mutt were having arguments or traveling apart. This was her confidant. And Mutt, Shania told Oprah that she hadn't written a song without that man in 14 years. Her producer and husband and the love of her life. How horrible. Shania and Mutt's divorce would be finalized in 2010. At the same time, Marie Ann and her husband Fred were also separating. Marie Ann would go on to marry Mutt, but Fred and Shania both got a happy ending too. The two of them became close in the years after the truth had come out, consoling each other in some of the most turbulent times in their lives. Sparks flew and they ended up dating each other. Shania and Fred married in 2011 and they're still together today. I've been roaming down the lost and found but I'm home now, home now, I'm home now, home now. Shania's first live album, Still the One, live from Vegas, released in the spring of 2015. It highlights her Still the One Vegas residency from 2012 to 2014 at the Coliseum at Caesars Palace. Shania began her second Las Vegas residency in 2019, which is estimated to run through 2021. Shania's most recent studio album, Now, came out in 2017.
Shania started a nonprofit called Shania Kids Can in both the U.S. and Canada. The goal of the foundation is to provide support to underprivileged kids in elementary schools across North America, from academic help to nutritional resources and everything in between. Because she herself had a difficult childhood, Shania began the foundation in hopes that any children with difficulties at home might find more stability and personal care at school. Today, Shania and Frederick are still married and reside in Corso, Switzerland with Shania's son, Asia, who is now in his late teens. And amidst appearances on TV and in movies, Shania is still making music. Most recently, she recorded a remixed version of the song Hole in the Bottle this fall with pop country star Kelsey Ballerini. When asked about the collaboration, Ballerini told Taste of Country, quote, They say don't meet your heroes. Unless your hero is Shania Twain, then meet her, know her, and make music with her. It ain't my fault, so don't blame me. I swear I just came here to unwind and have one drink. The way it looks ain't what you think. This cabernet has a way of vanishing on me. There's a hole in the bottle, leaking all this wine. It's all Also, be sure to catch her song with Orville Peck that came out this year, called Legends Never Die. In the music video, she recreates the leopard outfit from the video for That Don't Impress Me Much, and she looks hot as all hell, and sounds fantastic. Are we getting a Shania Twain revival in 2021? I'm all for it. best-selling female country artist of all time and one of the all-time best-selling artists, period. She holds five Grammy wins, 18 nominations, four Academy of Country Music Awards, seven Billboard Music Awards, and as of 2011, has a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Shania Twain will go down in history as one of the most prolific recording artists of our time. Die. 
Thanks for joining me today. If you like this episode, be sure to check out episode six on Sturgill Simpson, episode eight on Casey Musgraves, episode 44 on Jason Isbell, and episode 47 on The Carpenters. Also follow me at Radio Gaga Podcast over on Instagram for updates and other music I'm listening to. Next time on Radio Gaga, we're getting into the holiday spirit with A Charlie Brown Christmas by the Vince Guaraldi Trio. The other day, I put this record on and had a winter candle going, popcorn popping on the stove. For a few brief moments, I felt really relaxed and happy. Not to get all hallmark on you, but if you're looking for some peace, joy, and love this season, look no further than this album. It's got it all. I'll see you back here next time. 